0: back to Operant Innovations and Thought Leaders. Last month, we talked to Kristen Peterson about her story and her journey. And then today, I'm really excited to hear about where she thinks the future of ABA is going. Um, So welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Great Um, to talk to you again. So I really want to hear about, you know, the field of ABA is there are so many applications and so many things that we can do. um, And I would love to hear what you think the future of
1: this field is or should be or could be. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really exciting question. I probably will lean a little bit away from kind of Commenting on clinical work since I'm not really in that space at this point. I don't feel like while it's still in my scope of competency, I don't feel like I have quite as much of a pulse on it. So I'll probably focus mostly on like some of the OBM kind of stuff, if that's okay. And we kind of talked about this last time we talked, but I think one of the things that I would love to see uh happen within, you know, the OBM space is people really kind of drilling down on industries that they want to influence. Instead of thinking about, you know, OBM in this like broad kind of sense, and I'm this general kind of OBM kind of consultant, what industry are we passionate about? And like, how do we want to make changes in those specific industries so that we can really build competency and be able to more effectively communicate with stakeholders? I see that as a really big gap that BCBAs generally are not great at is How do we actually effectively disseminate and like sell our services because we're so into like our behavior speak that sometimes we can't turn that off to effectively communicate with stakeholders. So I would love to see more people focusing on finding an industry that they're super passionate about helping regardless of what that industry is and, you know, being more. And I always say that being obsessed with the problem, like be obsessed with the problems of those specific industries. Yeah. That, wow.
0: That's one thing. I I love that. I think um, as you were talking about kind of getting into the language of your particular industry, it reminded me of, oh, I can't remember her name. I feel like it might have been, her first name might have been Christina. It was a talk from the OBM Network Conference 2022. Um, mm-hmm. And it was maybe the CEO, somebody pretty high up at Alula And when she started her talk, she apologized for not using the most behavior analytic language because that's not the language that she uses every day. And it just brings up this like kind of conversation. If you get into OVM and you're remembering the science, but you're not always using the most technical language, that's fine. Like you can talk to your customers, that's okay.
1: Yeah, I think it's actually a more important skill, actually. So, I mean, when I think about what is the purpose of our technical language, it's so that we can effectively communicate amongst ourselves more effectively and more efficiently and, like, be focused on some of those really minute kind of pieces. Uh, None of those rules apply to our customers. (laughs) (laughs) They don't they just don't. It's a completely different set of contingencies. But as like behavior analysts, we have so much learning history. And I'm speaking very technically to you right now, right? Because of this exact thing I'm about to say, there's a history of reinforcement that you are gonna reinforce me for speaking to you more behavior analytically. Right. You know, I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, that's an EO, that's a this, that's a that. There's a huge learning history with that. And then we're not very sensitive to the fact that we're not getting reinforced. We're doing that when we're with stakeholders because uh, we have that learning history. So we definitely need to learn to speak like the language of the industry that like we're trying to help. Honestly, right now I have to do a lot of code switching because you know I will teach PhD course and I need to use very behavior analytic terminology and then I like meet with my internal team and I have to use programmer software developer language and then when I speak to the customer. I have to use this other language and it's like, I have, that's a skill that I've had to practice. It's not something I'm good at naturally. Um, right. It's definitely like a muscle. I had to exercise and practice and be like, oh, didn't do great that time or have people on the team be like, Christy, can you actually explain that a little bit more? <laughs> yes. Thank you for asking. Yes. I'm
0: reinforcing those, those mans for more information.
1: Yeah. I
0: I'm super passionate about that. We should ask questions. We should reinforce asking questions. percent. And we should also do our best to avoid the need for questions. But when inevitably we've
1: not thought of everything. Well, and, you know, kind of interestingly, you know, like in a sales capacity, which sometimes I have to be in a sales capacity, Not my favorite part of, you know, owning my own business for sure, but it's definitely part of it sometimes you do want to not give enough information because you want to get that engagement from the person that you're trying to have this conversation with. If I answer hundred percent of your questions before and you don't have to ask any, it's really hard for me to gauge how interested in this are you, you know, how can I kind of shift my behavior as we go to help kind of go as deep as they want to into those topics and really kind of explain, but some people want that 10,000 level view and some people want to get into the nitty gritty and we have to, use kind of their mans for information to kind of gauge where are they at with this and, you know, just set ourselves up to have those successful conversations.
0: Yes. And that's that's a really good point too, that
1: we should adjust our behavior to the environment. And yeah, not be so rigid with our like rule governed behavior, right? Still be sensitive to like the environmental contingencies that we, you know, are contacting and like the operant consequences.
0: And And it makes me think of, so just to orient both you and the listener to where I am at currently, I graduated from my master's program like two months ago. So I'm- Oh, congratulations. Yeah. You know, um, I'm very much in this place of like, I just got a lot of reinforcement for like always speaking technically, you know, every single thing that comes out of my mouth, make sure that I can translate that, you know, whether I'm trying to speak casually, but like I'm, I'm thinking about- somebody asks me how to explain this behavior analytically I need to be able to to do that I expect that that will diminish as time goes on and the one thing that I have noticed and admired about you is you are very very good and I noticed this by uh like what you post on social media and we can link your Instagram in the bio you'll post like a picture you went somewhere in Europe and you posted pictures of like behavior science in the community. And when you explained it, of course it made sense. Right. But I was, I had so much admiration
1: for your ability to just like look around and see it. That's some Thank you. That's super nice. Yeah. And again, I think I don't know that I would have been able to do that without a really strong technical foundation right? Like you can't, you can't tact it, if you can't, if you can't tact it. So you know, it's like almost multiple exemplar training or something like that, if I had to kind of explain that from a behavior analytic perspective. But um, that was also a muscle, it's like also a skill I built, you know, as I was trying to think about transitioning out into more of an OBM space, I was doing a lot of like, funny and I talked about this on another podcast a little bit so I don't want to like get too far into this but you know I would like take data on things that like on political debates that was like something I would do to like practice that because it was like totally different context and like do like an FBA on like what's going on in this political thing um and try to see if I could like make a good hypothesis about the function of some like problematic politician behavior Uh, obviously there's no lack of those to measure (laughs) And I recommend this to everybody too. If you like live in a community where you can really form meaningful relationships with small businesses in your community and prov- I did a lot of free consulting for like places in my community just to get practice and get exposure. So, you know, being able to give myself the opportunity to see those connections and like really focus on like, how can I form those connections? How can I read this research in these other areas too, and like draw those connections? Because I think we do a lot of explain this behavior analytically, but we do a little bit less of take the behavior analytic thing and like break that down the opposite direction. So I think there's lots of ways that people can do that. But it's, you know, putting yourself in the environment where you can access those things.
0: Yeah, and that's really cool. I'm totally gonna like watch a debate. And take
1: some data on that because I think that's hilarious yeah but I mean you could do that so many places right like you could go to a coffee shop and just post up with your little sneaky notebook and like look at the different behaviors between you know the barista and the customers um mm-hmm. you know and like that's totally OBM right it's just we're using those same observation skills we're still looking at antecedents, behaviors consequences we're looking at process but you know that also, it's like a good generalization opportunity and it's free, right? Like you could do that anywhere. You could do it at a movie theater. You could do it at a restaurant. You could do it at a library. Like there's not a lack of stimuli for us to like look at and start practicing those skills.
0: Yeah. Um. Okay. So we kind of got off track, which is great. I love I'm it. Sorry. Right <laughs> help. Um, but you had just, you kind of like closed your, you know, I, I think that we should find a, kind of dial in on an industry. Um, And I think your last thing you said on that was like, that's
1: one thing uh, indicating you have more. What else? Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I don't think also it's one industry necessarily like overall for all of OBM. It's like, pick your industry, pick the thing that like you're passionate about, right? Like it could be animal shelters. Like there's totally OBM work to be done in that space. If you're passionate about animals, like you could be the OBM BCBA who does the animal shelter stuff. Right, you know, want to be clear about that. Like, and I left clinical work because I was burnt out and not passionate about what I was doing, and so that factors in a lot into what I'm thinking about. You know, I think that, and this, the by, so the second thing that I see is kind of like a few fu- the future or a need that we have, and this is not a this is not a hot take. I, I think a lot of people will say this: that behavior analysts have to get better at disseminating, have to. I think that I see a lot of issues in our publication practices. You know, it's very, it's very siloed information. And we definitely have a culture of elitism in behavior analysis that does not serve us at all. It's not helpful. Yeah. So we understand like the single subject research methodology and like the strengths and weaknesses of that. Great. Great. We have we see a value for small n, right? Research designs. Great. Um, if we want to disseminate, we're gonna have to make some compromises. Mm-hmm. Right. You're gonna have to learn some statistics to cross publish and not many of your analytic journals. Yes. <laughs> um or like, cooperate with a statistician. Like sure. hundred <laughs> percent built like there you have opportunities to build up your own competencies and you have opportunities to let other people operate from a position of their strengths yeah too right um uh, i am not necessarily saying all BCBAs need to be statistician level it's an area i'm constantly trying to improve my per- my personal skill set in. um i see a lot of value in it but um i, I don't want to be a statistician that's not interesting to me right So I think we absolutely need to be uh, cross-publishing more. Like I think JOBM and jaba they're not getting it done. They're not helping us disseminate. They're great journals. But if we do not change and compromise, and when I say compromise, I think about it as like additive, like let's add things to our studies so that we're able to publish them in more places. So like for instance, I really thought about that a lot with my dissertation And I am in the process of editing like the original giant paper down to something more small and palatable. And I'm really targeting like HR journals specifically. Like that's who I want to read this. Obviously I want behavior analysts to read it too, but because I'm trying to like disseminate like a behavior based wellness program is actually a lot more effective. I want that going to HR professionals.
0: Right. That's behavior analysts. are going to read it and they're going to think that's, good, you know, good job for running this study, but it's not gonna be groundbreaking for them. And it's gonna potentially be groundbreaking for
1: HR. Right. So I think that's one thing um, that we can do is be more willing to use stats and not be scared of them. And, you know, use some of these add in things to our single subject research methodology to increase the reach of our publications. Uh, I think that's super important mm-hmm. but again that's not a hot take I think like a lot of people have said that you know but I think like how can we tactically do that like how can we actually make moves in that direction and I think just stats is one of those ways right being like better at understanding those and reading them and like schooling ourselves in that area a little bit because we don't get that most people aren't going to get that in their master's program no, in a, you know, verified poor sequence. Yeah. I didn't either. Yeah.
0: But I also wonder, and I don't have the answer to this and I don't know if you do either, but, um, you, you talk about this problem of elitism that we have in the field. And I think that that, that can mean a lot of different things and potentially yeah. it does. But one of the things that I think that that means in our field is, um, there's researchers and there's clinicians and, There's not a lot of crossover, but by going outside of like potentially publishing elsewhere, maybe that's where we get some more of that crossover. I don't know if I was going to say, I don't know if like a clinician's like interventions would be applicable to other journals, but there are children development journals and education journals where, where you can publish and and maybe remove some of those publishing
1: barriers. Yeah, well, and I think this was something I learned kind of in my PhD program that I was not aware of. Um, So maybe some of the listeners aren't either. So when you think about, you know, from the very beginning of like the research stage where you're like doing basic research all the way to like, how are we applying applied research in practice? There's like a lot of steps in there, right? You start with that basic research. It's very like lab oriented. Then maybe you have some translational research. I actually think translational research is really, really cool. Um, It's kind of the stuff that I find myself reading the most of and I'm kind of the most passionate about because I think it's the most kind of clever and interesting. Like how do we bridge that gap to uh, the next part, which is the applied research, right? So there's kind of this like continuum that needs to occur to get something out to the practitioners. Yeah. But there's a huge gap in once we have something that's in the practitioner's hands, then how are we getting feedback from the practitioners back into the literature? Yeah. Right. Like that cycle isn't there. It just goes through this research pipeline and ends with the practitioner and they're going to have so much. The research is for them. Right. The applied research is for the practitioner. So why don't we have feedback mechanisms that are helping us like gather that information? Obviously that feedback's not going to go through IRB. That doesn't exist, right? Like that's not the structure of it, but we probably need to be a little bit more flexible about taking, you know, well-designed case studies or mm-hmm. notes from the field, things that, you know, aren't necessarily required to go through IRB, but a mechanism from which we can get feedback from practitioners of, is this applied research actually helping facilitate forward movement clinically or in whatever application? It may not be clinical, but right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it you're you're supposed to have a feedback loop, right? And there's there's not a loop. We 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 have a blockage there.
1: Um and I think we talk about like scientists practitioners, right? We talk about that. Um uh, that's in a lot of textbooks uh, in our space. We don't, we don't really create a re- very reinforcing environment for scientists practitioners. It's
0: true. And I even remember like thinking that I attended the Florida Tech on campus program and there's a very heavy research emphasis there. And I even remember being in my classes and, you know, talking about scientists practitioners and thinking like that that what you're describing is not realistic for what I had at that time seen in a clinic which then maybe brings up a lot of questions but
1: yeah yeah the main question being like but how right I mean mm-hmm. same thing with like OBM you know if you're not just doing this very traditional kind of BPA it's always I think the question is but like but how do I do that right yeah we talk a good game about it but uh we're not necessarily following that up with behavior change yes you're yeah so, I think the last thing that I'm thinking about as far as the future of you know OBM as a field is this question about cross training. So, I think there are very again, there's going to be very few positions. If you go on LinkedIn or you go on indeed and you search OBM, yeah. things aren't coming up. yeah, that's yeah. uh, just not where we're at. so, but I think we have a lot of opportunities to think about cross training as a tool to help us make that transition. And I I I work in the tech space. I see so many opportunities for BCBAs in the tech space and we employ BCBAs. But you know, project management um, is so behavioral. It's yeah. so behavioral. There's so many antecedents, behaviors, consequences, and project management. It doesn't matter if it's a manufacturing company, if it's a tech company, if it's a mining company, like every industry needs that produces any sort of product or service needs project management. Yes, So uh, I think that we have a lot of cool opportunities to be able to enhance our resumes, to get in the door, get those interviews, and then in that interview, be able to talk about how our approach is, I understand the main project management stuff. I have this project management certification. Here's the other thing that really sets me apart as an applicant is I have these other skills that layer into that, that you would not have seen on my resume. But now that I'm in this room with you, I can really have that conversation and explain that to you in a way that's really meaningful. So I see that as, you know, a way that we can be moving the field forward too, is looking at different cross-training opportunities. But I do also think um a little like asterisk, a little footnote of like a little word of warning with that. There's, Project management, again, is kind of like a really good example of this. But I've seen other examples of this, too, where if you Google project management certification, you can't throw a rock without hitting a different one. So it's really doing your due diligence to figure out, like, what is the industry standard? Like, look at those job postings and be like, what are the certifications they're asking for? Yeah. Uh, So, you know, you could get a project management certification from... I don't know, Acme, Inc. But if no one's ever heard of it, that's not going to help you with your job seeking. Um, It's not going to help drive that outcome that you're looking for of getting those interviews. So, and a lot of organizations, a lot of companies are offering these trainings, you know, and they're not, they don't function like the BACB. They're not trying to provide services and resources and continuing education to the people who have those certifications. They're kind of just trying to make money. So we have to do our due diligence and be smart consumers in how we're selecting those cross-training opportunities. But I think, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what we talked about last time with like doing an OBM certification. That's going to help with your competency, but not necessarily as much with your job seeking and getting those certifications, those cross-training opportunities, maybe is going to help more with actually getting some of those interviews and beefing up your resume that way and thinking about it both directions, I think would serve a lot of people who are wanting to make that transition
0: yeah that's a really good point I don't know I I have looked up some project management uh certifications and things like that and I think within these fields or I guess I don't I guess I can't speak fully I I know within at least some fields those certifications change um so I know um Lean Six Sigma has been a really big thing within business and still is like I, I think as far as I understand if you go and get a Lean Six Sigma certification you're not going to be considered outdated but there is a new something that is like similar that is you're starting to see pop up in um like job uh listings and things like that and so maybe talking to people within the field to be like, Hey, like if I go and get this certification, as opposed to this one, like what's better, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, working in the tech space, I see that a ton because technology changes and develops so fast. So being flexible and thinking about, and like technology touches everything work related now. Right. So even if you're not, Like I want to be in the technology space that's okay yeah this is still like what I'm going to say I think still applies we have to be willing to update what we've done because things change right if technology completely changed the way that we did insurance billing of course we would need to go get like new certifications and new education if even if you're working clinically so I think you know do the continuing education when you need it right Mm -hmm. like if you're in the position where you're wanting to look at a project management role, then do what's like, what's the thing right now? What's like the trend? What are organizations looking for? And do it then. Because if you do it two years in advance, it might not be what people are looking for and needing right then because technology has changed the situation so significantly. So, you know, doing the continuing education or the cross training when you need it and all Also knowing that that's not the end of the road, right? The same way that we have to do CEUs to keep our BCBAs active, you might have to get additional cross-training because things are shifting and changing all the time. Yeah,
0: BCBAs have to do continuing education. If you have other certifications or specialties, you're also gonna need some continuing education.
1: 100%.
0: So is there anything that you're doing
1: to help move the fields in these directions. Um yes. I mean, I hope so. Things that I think will hopefully help. We'll see if uh ha- I think we'll have to be a little further down the road to see if it's actually helping. But <laughs> yes. Um you know at more least I mean we are offering like those OBM groups um really kind of focused on like let's look at actual use cases, real data of how did we actually do XYZ thing. Because I think, you know, there's definitely barriers to that and being able to ask questions and throw ideas and collaborate that way, I think is definitely missing. So that's one thing. Another thing is that one of my colleagues from my PhD program, um, Siobhan, a little shout out to Siobhan, love her. uh, Her and I started um, an OBM focused research lab at the Chicago School at the Chicago campus. Yeah, so we started that this fall semester of 2023 for like future listeners who may be like what year is this yeah Uh, so since we're in you know coming up on October still super super new so kind of the first project that we're taking on is really looking at like what are some of the barriers for clinical BCBAs to be using OBM tools in their clinical practice because that's kind of you know a good training ground for people to be able to be using those tools yes So that's kind of one of our first projects, but just like everything that I feel like I get involved in, we have like a huge list of like potential ideas for the future. Yes, yes. So that's new and fresh and we're super, super excited about it. It's going to be really cool. So then kind of the second thing is I recently signed on to be like the lead subject matter expert for some course redesigns for... A master's and PhD level courses that in OBM at the Chicago school. So with the BACB having, you know, new changes coming down the pipe where there's going to be an increase in, you know, the number of hours needed for certification specifically within like OBM and supervision, you know, they're really hoping to kind of beef up some of their offerings in that area. So I am really excited to be able to um, help design some of those courses. I'm also teaching a course for them right now for PhD students that I designed that's, uh, you know, Behavior Analysis of Company Culture, which is kind of, which is the name of the course. And we're about six weeks into that now. And that's been a really interesting experience. Yeah, this is kind of a tangent too, but one of the gaps that I have potentially seen in teaching that course and teaching some of the groups, that's kind of a gap that I also used to have in doing some OBM stuff is uh, our fluency with financial information. Yeah. So I think like, did I get a BBA because I wanted to be a finance person? No, not, not even a little, but um, it's definitely something that I've had to build a lot more competency and, um, and it's something I definitely see as a gap. And also something I see is very aversive for a lot of BCBAs, myself included. I did not like it initially, but we have to, when we're working with businesses, we definitely have to have a uh, competency in financial information. Like, how do we scope how much something's going to cost? How do we understand how business owners are making decisions based on their budgets? With, you know, not having good fluency in that, you know, we're not setting ourselves up to be successful uh, providing OBM interventions.
0: Yeah, that's a really good, like, I don't have knowledge or experience. I mean, I've gotten a little bit, like, through work, but I had nothing related to that in my coursework. Whether that was no. like, you know, I I got the dual degree in ABA and OBM. None of my ABA classes, none of my OBM classes had anything to do with that. And
1: it's kind of relevant to both. Yeah, I mean, you probably talked about KPIs, but there's all of these keywords and KPIs that you're like, what's the difference between margin and revenue? And how do I like read a P&L? How do I even make a budget for like a big intervention that impacts like multiple departments? So it's like, yeah, of course, there's not enough time in a master's program to cover some of that. But it's definitely a skill that I see lacking in the space that I don't know if I've actually ever seen it saliently called out of like, if you want to do OBM, you got to know financials, <laughs> at yeah. least to a certain level, you don't have to be an expert. But like, I'm not, I'm definitely not an expert. But I mean, even like,
0: I think it was in our last conversation where you were talking about like needing to get data on your wellness program with Zendecoded so that you can kind of budget that for other companies and use that to make projections as far as their savings, their benefits. That's all very relevant to like, you're going to need that to sell and you're going to
1: need to calculate that. Yeah, if I didn't have some level of financial fluency, I would not have been able to determine that an organization that we implemented the wellness program with saved $84,000 in hiring and recruiting costs, because I wouldn't have known how do I calculate hiring and recruiting costs? How do I figure out the average amount of money it costs for this organization to hire an employee? And it is a lot of math, and it can be kind of overwhelming, but, you know, I think, That's the way that we get organizations to buy into what we're trying to do um, is through the return on investment, the ROI for them, whether they're going to make money or save money. Uh, They always, I mean, helpful hint, they always want to make money. They're not going to be as into saving money. So, you know, we have to find creative ways to be able to, you know, explore that and provide that. Yeah. And is that,
0: so you're teaching a course right now, is that something that you are trying to help your students get at least some exposure to that or
1: yeah I think that you know the course the course that I'm teaching at the Chicago school does def- definitely does not get into like how do we financially scope something mm-hmm. uh, we're not getting that far into it but you know these are kind of PhD students who are this is, I think for most of them their last course they've okay. passed their comps so they're pretty far into their PhDs and you know kind of I had taken for granted how much I had learned, you know, and so exposing people to like, you know, okay, I need you to pinpoint what this company culture problem is. And then I need you to tie it to a relevant KPI for the organization and people just being like, I don't know how to do that. And I was like, Oh, of course you don't. Like I totally took that for granted. It was good feedback for me to be like, Oh, And everybody had that struggle and being like, oh, this is a gap. And then in some of those OBM groups, kind of the same thing. I feel like I'm just seeing this feedback, even at the lower level of financial literacy and fluency with those topics where we don't even have the foundational skills as BCBAs to successfully scope something. If we don't, you know, we don't even have the vocabulary for like the high level KPIs of an organization. Interesting.
0: Okay. I don't think I have anything else that I want to ask. Do you have anything else that you want to share?
1: Um, do I have anything else that I want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think if I had to leave people with anything, it's, you know, whether you're in the position of needing a mentor or being able to be a mentor, I think that is one of the most important things that we can do for each other in the field is, you know, build each other up and share our, you know, different experiences and, you know, the different skills that we have kind of built in our own like little silos and making sure that we're helping move the field forward together um, and getting other people who are outside of the field involved in that. If we keep kind of operating in the silo as a field and, you know, not looking to other research, not looking to other training opportunities, uh, that, you know, we're going to continue to have difficulties disseminating. So that would just kind of be my call to action for everybody. Thank you for
0: for that individually and also just for all of the knowledge and experience that you have been willing to share.
1: Yeah, this has been super fun. I appreciate it.
0: I I have loved this. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Thought Leaders here on Operant Innovations. Come back next week for another new episode.